1930s, when you were working a lot with German patients, you did, I believe, forecast that uh, a second world war was very likely. Well, now, looking at the world today, do you feel that a third world war is likely? Uh, I have no definite indications in that respect. But there are so many indications that one doesn't know what one sees. Is it trees or is it the wood? It's very difficult to say uh, because the, the dreams of uh, people's dreams contain apprehensions, you know. But it is very difficult to say uh, whether they point to a war because that idea is uppermost in people's mind. Formerly, you know, it has been much simpler. People didn't think of a war. And therefore, it was rather clear what the dreams meant. Nowadays, no more so. We are so full of apprehensions, fears, that one doesn't know exactly to what it points. But one thing is sure, a great change of our psychological attitude is imminent. That is certain. Uh, why? Because we need more. We need more psychology. We need more understanding of human nature because the only real danger that exists is man himself. He is the great danger. And we are pitifully unaware of it. We know nothing of man, far too little. His psyche should be studied because we are the origin of all coming evil. There are few more emotive words in the English language than psychopath, a clinical term for a condition that only recently has begun to be properly defined. It describes a dangerous pattern of behavior which, although it's been recognized for the best part of a century, is little understood. Every decade has produced its own particular brand of psychopaths whose horrific crimes have defied any kind of rational explanation. Recent research into psychopathy in Britain and America is encouraging scientists to believe that they're close to discovering the root cause of the condition. Now we can literally look inside the mind of a murderer. We can look inside the brains of psychopaths and begin to see things that nobody else has ever seen before. What the scientists are discovering suggests that psychopaths are born, not made, that their condition is the result of a specific malfunction of the brain. The complexity of psychopathy has made it difficult to treat, but now that could all change. I think the general public would characterize a psychopath as somebody who does really nasty things. And in fact, the public view of the psychopath is that he or she, primarily he, is a serial killer. The general public is not wrong in that respect, but 
what has happened is that they have ignored the fact that there are, are tens of thousands of other people out there who are psychopaths but are not serial killers. Psychopaths simply do not experience emotions in the same way that we do. They don't experience empathy in the way that we do. They don't experience love in the way that we do. And because of this, they are more likely to stick a knife in someone to get what they want because they just don't care about the other person. I stabbed my first man. Um, I uh, stabbed him. Uh, he lived. But it sent out a word, a clear word to the rest of them that uh, you don't want to be messing with this kid. He'll stick you. Psychopaths can sing the lyrics, but they don't respond to the melody, the melody of, of normal human interactions and emotions. There is something missing. He has no compunctions. He kisses or kills without a thought. They are dangerous, without conscience, and all around us. In Britain, it is estimated that one in every 200 of the population is psychopathic. And by far the vast majority are neither criminal nor in prison. But the kind of harm that psychopaths can cause at home and in the workplace is deeply damaging and costly in every sense. We must be concerned about their impact on families when they're out in the community. They move from relationship to relationship. They have multiple children who they abandon. They engage in spousal assault and a whole range of behaviours which are unacceptable. David Cook is a forensic psychologist at the Douglas Inch Centre in Glasgow. He's made a close study of psychopaths in prison. They tend to be very versatile in their criminality, so they don't tend to engage in one particular type of crime. They'll engage in a whole variety, so they may engage in violent crime, conning and manipulative crime, they may engage in sex crime, uh, property crime and so forth. So they, they, they cover the whole range of, of criminal behaviour. In the workplace, they often uh, disrupt and destroy the, the good working of uh, the business or an operation because they're interested in what's in it for themselves. I think it's a very important condition and we do need resources put into treatment to see if we can find anything that works. The only psychopaths who are readily available for possible treatment and research purposes are those who are locked up in prison. They're a minority of the prison population, but they're special. There is a growing realization that the range of their crimes, coupled with the disproportionate amount of damage they cause, makes them public enemy number one. The population in which you'd find a bigger concentration of psychopaths than anywhere else uh, is in, amongst convicted criminals. But a majority of the people in prison are not psychopaths. Psychopaths are a minority, but a minority who are particularly likely to re-offend. David Thornton is a senior scientist with Her Majesty's Prison Service. He develops treatment programs for serious offenders. 
and recidivist psychopaths are now a major concern of his. Further criminal behaviour harms the victims of that criminal behaviour. Um, it also um, costs the country a lot of money in terms of police time, in terms of the time of the courts, um, and in terms of what society spends in relation to people who've been hurt by crime. You only have to change re-offence rates by quite a small amount and you actually save quite a lot of money if you're thinking of it in purely economic terms. Before you can tackle the high cost of psychopathic crime, first you must reliably identify who are the psychopaths. Recently, this has become easier. The major breakthrough, I think, has been the development of the psychopathy checklist by Robert Hare and his colleagues. And that has allowed uniformity in the diagnostic process. So when a researcher in Canada talks about a psychopath defined by Hare and one in Scotland talks about psychopaths defined by Hare's criteria, we all know we're talking about the same sort of uh, disorder. In Vancouver, the person who has contributed most to helping everyone get a better handle on psychopathy is Robert Hare. From the start, Hare recognized the central problem of defining a condition about which we know little, other than its symptoms. If you're going to deal with a particular condition, called psychopathy in this case, or schizophrenia or any other condition, you've got to make sure that you can record and measure these particular disorders reliably and validly. From the scientific perspective, psychopathy is a combination of characteristics, inferred personality traits and behaviours that hang together. And for this reason, we had to figure out a way to make this, this idea of psychopathy as scientifically valid as possible. And we spent the next really 15 years trying to develop an instrument that would actually do this job, and in effect a measuring tool that was not made out of rubber. The measuring tool that Hare devised is called the Psychopathy Checklist. It's become the industry standard internationally for identifying psychopaths. In a carefully structured interview, an expert using the checklist, which defines character traits closely associated with psychopaths, can determine the extent to which someone is or is not psychopathic. Many of these characteristics are not uncommon, but points are awarded out of 40, and a score of 26 or higher is required to identify the true psychopath. Whenever I list the characteristics that define the psychopath, uh, people will say, well, look, I know somebody who's got two or three of those characteristics. Are they psychopaths? And I'll say, of course not. What you've got to do is have a, a cluster, a combination of characteristics that hangs together. And here I would like uh, briefly to, uh, to compare what, the parable of Brave New World with uh, another parable which was put forth more recently uh, in uh, George Orwell's book, 1984. I'm inclined to think that uh, the scientific dictatorships of the future, and I think there are going to be scientific dictatorships in many parts of the world, will be probably a good deal nearer to the Brave New World pattern uh, than to the 
1984 pattern. They will be a good deal nearer, not because of any humanitarian qualms in the scientific dictators, but simply because the brave new world pattern is probably a good deal more efficient than the other. That if you can uh, get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, the state of servitude, the state of being, well, it seems to me that the the nature of the ultimate revolution with which we are now faced is precisely this, uh, that we are in process of developing a whole series of techniques which uh, will enable the controlling oligarchy who have always existed and presumably always will exist uh, to get people actually to love their servitude. Uh, people can be made to enjoy a state of affairs which by any decent standard they ought not to enjoy. And uh, these uh, methods, I, I think, are a real refinement on the older methods of terror because they combine methods of terror with methods uh, of uh, acceptance. But then there are, there are various other methods which one can think of. Uh, there is, for example, the uh, pharmacological method. This, this was one of the things I, I talked about in, in Brave New World. Uh, and... Uh, the result would be that, uh, I mean, you can imagine a, a euphoric which would make people thoroughly happy even in the most abominable circumstances. I mean, they, these things are possible. Very obviously, he has gone insane. Primordial instincts to kill without feeling, without passion, without judgment. Primordial instincts to kill me without feeling, without passion. Totally insane. Without judgment. Primordial instincts to and, kill me uh, without feeling, without passion. Without judgment. Primordial instincts to kill without feeling, without passion. Without judgment. Primordial instincts to kill me. Without feeling, without passion, at all, without judgment, primordial instincts to kill, without feeling, without passion, without judgment. What's wrong? Nothing, nothing really. I just feel that I need something stronger. If you have a problem, don't hesitate to ask for assistance. Yes, thank you. I'll be all right. Call 3485... What's wrong? I need something stronger. Take four red capsules. In ten minutes, take two more. Help is on the way. Remember, an interval overdose may cause a serious chemical imbalance. I needed some Panora last night. I feel as if something... Excellent. ...odd were happening to me. Something... Uh, yeah. I can't understand. Could you be more specific? The sedatives. I'm taking atrazine, but it doesn't seem strong enough. I have a hard time concentrating. You are a true believer. Blessings of the state. Please forgive me. Blessings of the masses. Thou art a subject of the divine, created in the image of 
Let us be thankful we have an occupation to fill. Work hard. Increase production. Prevent accidents. And be happy. So could it not be that in exactly the same way as a person will take a medication, a drug, a panacea, or some other, except some other kind of escape to escape their own inner emotions in exactly the same way as that happens on a daily basis. If the government comes along tomorrow and says, we have the perfect way for you to get rid of these troublesome emotions, would the world not buy into it? I think the world would buy into it in five seconds flat. They would, they're already doing it. Medication, the, you know, the pres prescription drugs are on the rock. Rock, skyrocketing, illicit drugs, of course. The climate of debauch, the feeling of disgruntlement and utterly alienated feelings, you see, the, of, of these mutil mutilated teens, teens who don't meet any wise grandparents, who are latchkey children, you see, who never see their parents. They grow up on fast foods and popcorn and the television. You mean to tell me we can do all of that and then expect that there's gonna be some glowing utopia in the future? What kind of delusion are people in? Nature is being toppled every five minutes to put new buildings and apartments, you know? That whole contradiction of then you cut down the trees and then you name the streets after them. So if you have all of this and you're rational, you start to see that, wait a minute, you know, man finds his own inner nature, his own psyche troublesome. He's not at peace with himself. He's certainly not even able to handle his own darker emotions. He has segmented and divided his consciousness into infinite parts. There's only one mind, one consciousness, but he has divided it into so many sections. The body and the brain, the heart and the mind, the heart and the soul and the brain, the soul and the mind, the psyche, is now conscious and unconscious. The ego has, you know, separate compartments. Well, says who? All of this division, 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 because man is desperate to disassociate. That's a form of mind control. In fact, they know that in clinical mind control experiments, disassociation is one of the primal things. It's the first thing, is to break the mind up into many fragments. They usually do it through trauma. So man is traumatized on his own by operating in the world. He gets traumatized in his relationships. He may actually physically be traumatized by rotten parents. So we're talking about very, very physical things here. We're talking about people who may have undergone enormous abuse in their life. 
We may be talking about sensitive people who've been very, very betrayed and done, you know, had terrible things happen to them. And that causes all sorts of ramifications, trauma, loss of center, terrible, terrible um, blame game stuff can happen, you know? Or just a frozenness, a sense of trauma that just, just freezes your circuitry. You know, lack of trust, terrible hostility, defensiveness, all of that. In fact, some people have said that the ego is nothing but a mass of defenses. Ego, consciousness, is nothing but a mass of defenses. This is completely accepted. But to cut a long story short, what happens if we get to a place where people are so novice at even dealing with the most rudimentary psychic disturbances, shall we call it? In other words, anything that comes to ruffle the surface of that, you know, Disney World fake Hollywood creation of their sensational life. The one-sided, the one-seasoned world person. Who's quite happy with that, all the things that the society provides. And who's lost themselves in society and their job and their career and their sport, you know, and all of that. Not that these things are individually wrong, but it's about how people have got immersed in all of it. So that person who's now completely one-dimensional, who's troubled by anything that, you know, disturbs their little uh, view of reality, this little homogenous world of franchised, corporatized, televised, media-sized, you know, pre-digested rubbish that is being put out there, created ad infinitum. What happens? Because the emotions don't go away. This is what Freud and all have so beautifully proved. You can repress them, because this is a faculty of consciousness. It was actually a needed faculty, but we overdo it. You can repress your emotions. You can pretend they don't exist. You can forget and then forget that you forgot, which is what repression is. However, the psychologists have always reminded you that that only works up to a point. The unconscious is not a, a endless dumpster in which you can perpetually dump all your psychic content because life will bring up more challenges that again bring out those uh, repressions. And I believe that a lot of the chaos you're seeing now and the wars and you know the state of the America is in specifically is a result of psychic repression. But I've explained that elsewhere. What I'm looking at right now is it could it be that man becomes so threatened, so destabilized by his own emotions. Such, a, such an incredibly disassociated person. At first they run to drugs, as the culture is doing now. People run to medication, people run to sugar, to gossip, to the, the match, the game, whatever, all the different ways that people run to escape, looking at themselves. I don't see any difference in that. And if you predict that in the future, if you sort of look with prescience and think, well, man isn't changing that status quo. He's not, he's not getting any wiser. He's, he's certainly not turning to, to, to alleviate the problem in a good way. Well, my God, then, that's pretty frightening. Is that what it means by the end of uh, the world, the end of history? That all the idioms that have been built by our wise forefathers, we sell it up, up the river? When I look around at human beings, I, I can definitely see that coming. And psychopathy is a personality disorder but they're able to work within a business or an industry or an organization. They're very different than what we commonly think about a psychopath as the serial killer.
these individuals had the same personality characteristics, but through education, through um, where they live, they are able to get jobs in big business and do fairly well for themselves. A psychopath is somebody who, as I've said before, is uh, without a conscience. Not because he doesn't have the intellectual uh, capacity to understand the difference between right and wrong. It's because the emotional connection with uh, cognitions, thoughts, and so forth is absent. Some of the characteristics would include this uh, stunning lack of empathy, uh, lack of concern for other people, uh, the ability to look at other people as mere objects. When normal people are processing emotional material, there is greater activation in parts of the brain that nature's designed to handle emotionality. You can tell the difference between an emotional and a neutral event for these individuals, but for the psychopaths, you can't. It looks like parts of limbic uh, region, emotional brain, hippocampus, amygdala, don't function the same in psychopaths as they do in other people. These are individuals who extremely, are extremely uh, egotistical, self-centered, uh, lacking remorse for what they have done, knowing exactly what they're doing, and what they're doing is manipulating and deceiving other people for their own ends. We so love our Hollywood psychopaths. Turn on television at night and people watch Dexter about a serial killer, I guess, with a conscience. Does that make any sense? But in reality, psychopaths are everywhere, from down and out to high and mighty. The individuals who were psychopaths had very good careers. Therapy is no sure thing. My therapy was actually making him more violent. So how do we cope with them? If someone seems like they're really coming on strong, promise the world with no hesitation, that's probably someone to be careful of. Run as far away from this type of person as possible. I'm Anne-Marie McDonald. Doxone turns a wary eye on the psychopath next door. Psychopath. It wouldn't be wrong if you conjured images of predatory killers, axe-wielding maniacs, or the infamous Hannibal Lecter upon hearing the word. I'll help you catch him, Clary. The psychopath holds a special place in our society because of our fascination with the dark side of humanity. But most psychopaths don't fit the stereotype. You're going to run into one of these individuals sometime in your life, more than once, and the encounter could either be exhilarating, thrilling, exciting, or devastating. More likely the latter. Psychopaths are not disordered. They don't suffer from a deficit, but they're simply different. Dr. Robert Hare is known as the godfather of psychopathy. A forensic psychologist at the University of British Columbia, he developed the psychopathy checklist used by law enforcement agencies and courts all over the world to identify those clusters of traits that only show up in psychopaths. His groundbreaking book, Without Conscience, pinpoints the hallmark of any psychopath, a total disregard of right and wrong. Most of the psychopaths are living right next to us and living a reasonably normal life but creating some sort of distress psychological or environmental or financial for others around them. 
And psychopaths have always been with us, as far back as the written record. Nor do psychopaths discriminate when it comes to race or culture. Inuit lore described them this way. They refer to them as people whose mind knows what to do, but they don't do it. The ones who stayed behind, but all the others went out hunting, and they come back a couple of months later, and all the women are pregnant, and say, what's going on here? But they had ways of dealing with these individuals. They didn't try to treat them or talk to them. They would get rid of them. Thank you very much, Bob. Thank you. The study of psychopathic behavior is relatively new. It's been Bob Hare's life work. His diagnostic checklist is based on research with hundreds of criminals in Canadian prisons. If I want to study something, I go where it's likely to be. So the prevalence of psychopathy in prisons is high and access to information is readily available. While psychopaths make up 25% of violent offenders in prison, most psychopaths are not criminals. It's estimated that between 1% and 2% of the general adult male population are psychopaths, which means there could be as many as 600,000 in Canada alone. They could be your neighbor, your boss, your friend, or your spouse. Hare considers them society's most dangerous individuals. His diagnostic checklist measures 20 key personality characteristics which reveal psychopathic traits. Egocentric, lacking remorse, guilt and empathy, deceitful, glib and shallow. Hare's checklist scores those characteristics on a scale from 0 to 40. The average score in the population might be 1 or 2. The average score in prisons is about 20, 21. And we use 30 out of 40 as a convenient threshold for defining psychopathy. Now that's very, very high, and that's light years away from the average person. In the general population, what other person gets a score of 10? I mean, this is, this is well below the threshold for psychopathy, but if you look at the characteristics, these are probably not very nice people. Psychopaths don't act or look crazy. They're not mentally ill. In fact, they're masters at appearing normal. Their main defect, what psychologists call severe emotional detachment, is harder to diagnose than schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. They don't feel emotion, but act as if they do. They know right from wrong, but lack remorse and empathy. Psychopaths are pathological liars who love to con and manipulate others. You're kind of surprised because you have the feeling that they think and feel the way we do. And they're going to respond to a situation much the way we do, and they're going to be empathetic and loving and warm and honest, full of integrity. And this often doesn't happen. In fact, they behave like predators. They are at the top of the food chain, and the rest of us are just lunch. In a psychopath's worldview, they are the cat, and we are all mice. The cat is a cat, and the cat doesn't know what the mouse is going through, nor does it care. If the mouse has got three little nieces at home somewhere, so what? It's a mouse, and I can eat it, and I do what I want with it. And the mouse is thinking, I'm a mouse, and what's that thing trying to do to me? And the mouse tries to impart its own values onto the cat. And the cat, of course, has a different set of values based upon its uh, evolution, right? So we have predators and prey. It's a recurring theme in the world of psychopathy research. They see themselves as the dominant species because our emotions make us weak. And psychopaths tend to be male. It's quite clear that psychopaths operate at a very basic physiological 
level. They don't experience the same kinds of emotions that the rest of us do that makes our lives quite rich, whether it's positive or negative emotions, sort of the, the roller coaster of life. As a, a psychopath goes through life largely flat, and but again engaging in various thrill-seeking behaviors to try to try to get a bit of a bang, to get away from that sort of flat line. Dr. Porter says psychopaths may be emotionally dead, but they're not psychotic, out of touch with reality. They know exactly what they're doing, quickly weighing the risks and benefits first. And it's all about reward. They are ultra-rational thinkers. They don't have the clouding of emotion that the rest of us do, and certainly make conscious decisions, rational decisions about whether to commit an action that at least at a cognitive level they understand is wrong. That they know if they uh, stick a knife in that other person's chest that they will cease to breathe, that they will end up dying. They know that society looks at that behavior and that outcome extremely negatively. This is clearly an immoral act. It's a good weight there. We're so attracted by physical appearance that that trumps practically everything else about the individual. And we evaluate this person by how he or she looks and dresses and talks. They're gonna go into something where they can take advantage of their talents, where there's power, prestige, control, sex, money. That's where they're gonna go. They're not stupid. They go to the watering hole rather than somewhere out in the desert where there's no prey. They go where the prey are. And psychopaths are everywhere. Wolves in sheep's clothing blending in with the rest of us. Modern business is a perfect environment for them because it enables them to achieve the desires that they want in terms of money, in terms of controlling other people, in terms of gaining power and prestige, of course. British professor and author Clive Boddy believes psychopathic behavior was largely responsible for the global financial crisis. In England alone, the financial services sector accounts for one-third of the GDP, making the fallout even more damaging. Boddy says investment deals were so complex, even the brokers didn't understand them. You ask yourself what kind of people would sell a product that they don't understand and can't properly price. It'd have to be without conscience, wouldn't you, to sell that kind of thing. Psychopaths are risk-takers, ruthless in their single-minded focus, skills that corporations often value, skills that ensure a quick climb up the corporate ladder. And he ends up being a very successful businessman, so rather than go out and rob the bank, he becomes a director of the bank. So depending upon the environment that you're brought up and how intelligent you are, how good-looking you are, if you learn to dress uh, and speak properly, and you're attractive, you're devastating. And if you're psychopathic, deadly. And Clive Boddy saw it all coming. A few years before the financial collapse, he began hearing that some bank executives went so far as to use Bob Hare's psychopath checklist to recruit employees. Presumably that was because they thought those new employees would be cutthroat and ruthless towards their competitors. The danger, of course, is that they, they're cutthroat and ruthless towards the bank that employs them as well. It's like saying criminals are good at guarding Fort Knox, guarding the gold, guarding the crown jewels. The outcome would be inevitable. That the gold would go missing, the jewels would be stolen. Take Bernie Madoff, the former chairman of NASDAQ, who orchestrated a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Madoff happened to get caught 
if only as a result of the financial crisis. But people like him remain in positions of power, respected for their financial acumen. The first people the governments in the West turned to, to help them get out of the global financial crisis, were the very people who had caused the global financial crisis in the first place. If some of those people were people that have no conscience, as, as psychopaths are, then the advice that they give will not necessarily be in the best interests of either the companies they work for or the societies in which they live. But Body's current research on corporate psychopaths suggests senior levels of the British government feel the financial services sector is simply too big to fail. Better to tolerate the corruption than destabilize the banking system. I would argue that that would be an incorrect um, conclusion to come to because if the system has been corrupted by the presence of corporate psychopaths, then the best thing to do is to get those people out of there rather than hope that they, the problem will go away on its own because it won't. Business ethics, corporate responsibility, best practices, buzzwords companies like to promote as part of their brand. But in the winner-take-all stakes of business, psychopathic values are winning out in the office. And those highly touted ethics quickly take a back seat. Okay, welcome to episode one of the Maiden Voyage episode of The Creature of Control, a Within the Stones media production podcast series, the first podcast series, and hopefully a number of podcasts and podcast series to come. Again, welcome to the Maiden Voyage here for The Creature of Control. And what we've just heard as an introduction to the episode is a series of clips put together to kind of introduce the Creature of Control series, as well as a few clips that highlight the topic of this episode. This episode is titled, Who is the Creature? How to Identify Psychopaths in Our Midst. And the clips we've just heard Starting out was a Carl Jung interview from 1959 on BBC, kind of a rare interview. And you can see the full interview in the episode notes. I'm going to include the various links and items that would be relevant to this episode, as well as anything that was featured in the introduction there. So you can watch the full clips there and have easy access to that information. Next, we saw an excerpt from the documentary Psychopath, Mind of a Psychopath, and that was produced by Rosal and Ardent and written by John Purdy for the Channel 4 Television Corporation. After that, we heard a clip from the chilling speech from Aldous Huxley, 
Aldous Huxley is the author of The Brave New World, and he was speaking at UC Berkeley in 1962 there. And it's just kind of an inter- interesting take on his view of the future and comparison between his, his book and the book 1984 by George Orwell. After that, we heard a clip from Michael Tessarian's documentary film, Architects of Control, which I highly recommend checking out if you have a chance, and that's going to be, again, included in the links in the show notes of this episode. After that, a short clip from the I Am Fishhead documentary, a film about psychopathy, and I would suggest checking that out. It's a really good documentary, written and directed by Misha Votruba and Veklav Dushkumar. Next, after that, was a clip from The Psychopath Next Door, a 2014 documentary film written and directed by Jeremy Torrey. So, again, this is the Creature of Control podcast series, the first episode in the series, and we're going to go into the topics of what this series is about um, in in a few minutes, and... Also, I'd like to introduce the Within the Stones Media Network website, which is a new website that I've launched recently, Um, kind of the platform for this podcast and other media that will be produced by Within the Stones Media Network. And the idea of the Within the Stones Media Network is to kind of build a a community-funded subscriber-based website that offers all the media for free um, to everyone and it's there you know for educational content for audiences who are open to learning and growing in a positive direction so that's what the within the stones media network is going to be all about again free content free of advertising never any commercials in any of the media and it will be supported hopefully would be supported by the community yourselves, those listening that find value in the podcast and the website and the information provided there, and then it can only grow, and the people that participate, if they find value in it, can hopefully support and donate to Within the Stones Media Network to see that we can continue to provide free content, free of advertising with no commercials. And that's kind of the idea here behind Within the Stones Media Network. We'll offer tools to promote human freedom and a path to get there as well. And you can contact me at tsbloyer at gmail.com. That's me, the host, Tyler Bloyer, and my email address is tsb as in boy and then l-o-y-e-r at gmail.com and again this episode will have show notes attached at the website withinthestones.com under the creature of control series which could be found there again all of this will be offered for free um, and then eventually we'll have a subscriber option at the website and so you could also subscribe so the purpose of this podcast series is to discuss human control systems it's the creature of control and we want to take a look at systems that attempt to control and subvert human behavior Um, you know why they want to do that and what their intentions are what their purpose is of, of attempting to subvert human behavior and we'll take an in-depth analysis of the creature of control 
We're going to go into the who, the what, the where, the when, and the why, and then finally the how of how the creature operates. And we might not do things exactly in that order, but that'll be the general outline. And the topics that are going to be covered in the Creature of Control podcast series are human control systems, systems that are in place that are attempting to control and subvert human behavior. And then we'll go into many areas. This is not going to be an inclusive list, but it's going to be a kind of an outline. And then I'm sure there'll be things added, so on and so forth. But we'll go into like food control systems, how the various uh, aspects of our food systems have been tightly controlled and whether that's a good thing or not. The education system, the public education system specifically and private as well, but basically the compulsory education system, outcome-based education, common core, these types of things, and as well as the history of education. We'll go into the governmental control systems, um, the different aspects of government that are there to control human behavior and how that operates. We'll also touch on topics such as the mainstream media, mandatory taxation, that type of control system, mind control. This is a big topic, obviously. The very, you know, different, many methods of mind control methodology, as well as brain imbalance and, you know, the left-right brain imbalance and aspects of that topic will be discussed. We'll also talk about ego attachment and obsessive ego attachment, a me, 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 pure selfishness type attitude, and how that's affecting the world around us. We'll cover topics such as eugenics, uh, positive and negative eugenics, the different methods and implementations of eugenics by the creature of control. We'll talk about cybernetics, transhumanism, technocracy, all big topics and long extended discussions and uh, in-depth analysis will need to be taken there. Talk about pharmaceuticals and the pharmacological attack on the species and what we'll ask questions there as you know to what the agenda is behind the extreme increase in pharmaceuticals we see people taking around us. We're going to talk about geoengineering. Um, We'll talk about social Darwinism, the theory of uh, Darwinism and how that's carried out and manifested in reality that we live in now and how it's kind of a belief system being held by possibly the creature of control. We'll talk about moral relativism and how that's operating in society. Talk about solipsism, um, that kind of thinking and that way of looking at the world and how that's affecting uh, human beings. We'll talk about slavery, the absence of human freedom, and the different aspects of slavery that are occurring in society. Study of the occult, and all that means is the study of hidden information. Occult simply means to hide or to keep from view. So when we say we're going to study the occult, we just mean we're going to be looking into information that might have been hidden by various systems uh, attempting to control human behavior by withholding certain information and many more topics beyond that but that's a good start to some of the 
topics going to be covered in the near future in the Creature of Control podcast series. And we'll also talk about solutions and we'll talk about things that can be done to gain more personal freedom for each individual and more freedom in the aggregate because one of the motivating factors for me presenting a podcast would be to go on a path myself of a a journey to more personal human freedom but then also as well an attempt to react to the loss of personal freedom for for everyone around that I can see happening so this would be like a reaction to that happening in society is a podcast to try to discover a path and a more clear view of what we're dealing with here with the loss of human freedom Um, not just in the United States where I am but around the world and what what it means to be truly free and and how that operates and what needs to be done to gain that type of lifestyle Um, so we'll be talking about solutions and one solution is to learn about the enemy such as all the previous topics discussed we'll kind of go over and and how to deal with it but then also you know solutions would tie into topics of what we need to understand in order to kind of undermine these various systems that are in place to attempt to control human behavior and one thing that needs to be understood is natural law and natural law principles and that topic would need to be heavily looked into and we're not talking about one set of somebody's theories on natural law or you know a John Locke specific version of the theory of natural law we'll just be discussing natural law and natural law principles what it is how it operates and what needs to be understood to live uh, our lives according to natural law and so that would include also free will and understanding that we do have free will just another solution that we're going to go into understanding free will and free will decision making ability that humans have and a responsibility also to use that free will definitely including in the decision making process as well and trying to discern truth from lies and um, trying to understand reality and live your life in accordance with reality this all definitely ties into natural law and free will and then the next thing we would need to understand as a solution would be freedom that's another topic that will obviously be covered heavily here learning and practicing the philosophy of freedom in our lives and then sharing it with others and liberty another solution sovereignty understanding what that means and if you are truly a sovereign being wisdom would be a solution what wisdom is and versus knowledge or wisdom versus understanding and how to use wisdom to gain more personal freedom in your life and we'll be discussing the topic of human nature if the human nature is good or bad or if it's just what it is and it's just affected by the reality around it and it's not good or bad and so we'll be discussing human nature as a solution and then last but not least in my list and also definitely not last in general because this list is not inclusive of all the topics that will be discussed here 
But the last solution, and a very important one, would be understanding the trivium method and what the trivium method is and how to use it in your everyday life. And the trivium, to be brief, is a method for discovering truth or a, a method for discerning fact from fiction. And it works if it's applied correctly and understood. And so we'll be discovering that or maybe just uh, recovering that, going over it again for some people, the trivium method and, and how that works. And hopefully we can take some time to go into that topic quite heavily when we get to that point. Um, and then, like I said, there'll be more topics beyond that, but that's a good starting point. A couple things I'd like to touch on here before we dig into the content or the material for this episode would be that this podcast and this series and, and all the information on the website will be useful most to those who are thirsty for knowledge and who want to learn and who understand that there's more in life to learn than there is a possibility to learn for each individual and that it's a journey for all of us and there's always something new to learn or a new way to look at something that we think we already know. And this podcast will be best for those who have a willingness to want to learn more and to understand things better. So it'll be most useful for those who want to go through information to discern for themselves whether or not something is true or not as well. And not just taking my word for it or anything you hear or see on the website or anywhere really in life and just taking it for somebody's word for it, but rather, you know, to take this information and try to discern for yourself whether or not the information is true or not. And so that would be another thing that will be useful for people to understand is that there is such a thing as truth that exists in reality and that our perception might be different than reality, but that there still is only one truth and one reality. And the goal is to align our perception with reality. And so if you have this kind of, you know, there's no way to understand the truth and that, you know, who really knows what's going on, this kind of like, quantum physics nonsense that, well, you can't really know, you know, what's really happening and there's no real way to know, you know, that has to be understood as a, as garbage and that the fact that truth can definitely be discerned as something that correlates with reality, something that aligns with reality, that the truth and, and reality are one and it's only our perception of that that is might not be aligned correctly, but that there is a, a way to align our perception with reality. And, you know, again, that ties in with the, the trivium method, which will be discussed as well as um, other topics in this series. But that would be helpful for the listener and the users of the content provided here to uh, understand that it's not, you know, all relative and that only what you think to be true is truth and that everyone has their own truth and and we'll get into that more later and again if you have any questions for me want to discuss things and get your questions into the show maybe 
even email me questions that you might have or topics that you want to bring up and we can take it up there as well all right so now we'll go into psychopathy um, psychopathy the topic of today's episode and understanding what what that's all about as some of the introduction there went over a lot of good points um, and we're going to be covering some more things here that I'd like to go over and unpack into this episode and then we'll be finishing up the episode with a short documentary film by Stefan Verstappen the defense against the psychopath film that he put out and there'll be links in the show notes with that film and the book as well that he put out in called defense against the psychopath so before we get into the the topic of psychopathy i'd like to say you know i'm not a neuroscientist i don't have an experience with a lot of you know neuroscience i'm not the i haven't worked in the field i'm not a clinical psychologist I'm just simply someone here that's done research and it's up to you to take this information and confirm it for yourself. Maybe it'll spark some, you know, insight or spark some imagination in you that makes you want to go off and do more research on the topic. And that's kind of what the purpose of this whole series and podcast is, is to you know, cover topics not in depth to the T every little detail, but to kind of go do a brief overview and paint a picture for a kind of general concept that we'll see unfold here as we go on and to have people, you know, go out and do their own research as far as deciding what's what's true and what's not and what's something that needs to be corrected and that can be done too I'm not saying that right now at this point in my life I have all the answers and and know how to present everything in a way that makes 100% in accordance with you know reality Um, but I'll do my best and if need be we can always I can always go back and correct myself later if new information comes in that changes something that was discussed previously and obviously I mean that should have to go without saying but I mean I think that's how everyone kind of goes through life with that and or should go through life with that kind of an attitude that things could change and they could go have to go back and say that they were wrong about something previously and the probably that the ability not to do that would be you know maybe even one of the <laughs> characteristics of a psychopath that we'll go over later in this episode would be the characteristics of a psychopath and the ability to admit that you're never wrong about something that you could never have been wrong and that you're too perfect to be have ever been wrong would probably definitely be one of the characteristics of a psychopath in itself all right so that being said again i'm you know i'm no expert on on this i'm someone who's compiled some research together and wants to discuss it here to get the creature of control podcast series going and you know again out of the who, what, where, when, why, and how, we're going to go into some of the who today and discuss who could possibly be this creature of control. Is it a is it psychopaths? Is it people that we would call these days a psychopath, or is it something else, or is it more than that, or is it is it 
something that we need to obviously do more looking into beyond just defining it on one issue of one group of people that's causing all the problem is it something else is it possibly the you know the people that are going along with these psychopaths and possibly not all of the blame could be placed on the shoulders of psychopaths and then it's not that easy and we need to look into why the psychopath you know operates in society so easily in some cases and is able to manipulate such large groups of people is there a reason for that so first we'll start with a a definition of psychopathy which the word comes from the Greek nouns psyche, meaning mind, and pathos, which is the Greek noun for suffering. So we have suffering mind. A suffering mind would be a, a sick mind. It would be an, an ill mind, some, an, a mind that has an illness if it's suffering. And so we can call that a sickness of the mind. Psychopathy would be a sickness of the mind. As we discuss this sickness of the mind, we have to keep in mind that there is a, a distinction between primary psychopathy and secondary psychopathy. And the distinction made um, by most people there, and myself included, would agree with this, is that the primary psychopaths were born with psychopathy and it's a genetic problem in that person. The primary psychopath is devoid of the capacity to feel certain emotions, like empathy, uh, the desire for affection, and so on. The primary psychopath was born this way. They're born with brain damage. They literally have brain damage that you know, to modern medicine or modern technology cannot be fixed, cannot be resolved. The issue cannot be addressed with any form of modern technology that's known of for modern medicine. So a primary psychopath is literally has a genetic problem in that person where there's something wrong with their brain. Okay, and then they exhibit certain characteristics that could be used to determine if this person is indeed a psychopath but as well you know you could see that this person is a psychopath by looking at SPECT scans or an fMRI scan and you could literally see the brain damage in a primary or a secondary psychopath but that's another way that you could determine is not only the characteristics that we're going to go over later in the episode but also that you could literally see this sickness of the mind in SPECT and fMRI scans that would show the brain damage that the person has in their reaction and their emotional response and again these people would have a, a lack of empathy a lack of a desire for affection and more characteristics that we're going to go over here in a minute now a secondary psychopath would be someone who is not actually born as a psychopath but someone who has been conditioned to behave like a psychopath so they're not actually born that way but they develop psychopathic tendencies through emotional conditions and this could be through neglect or abuse you know severe tr 
um, childhood trauma and that could you know that could cause this person to develop dissociative disorder where their mind splits where there's different alters created in the mind or an escape mechanism from the neglect or abuse or severe traumatic situations as a child or a young a young person it's also important to keep in mind that a secondary psychopath could be intentionally developed to behave like a psychopath so secondary psychopaths are people who behave like a primary psychopath but don't necessarily have a genetic brain disorder where there's actually a problem with the brain but these people would actually just be exhibiting behaviors and could have conditions which have been created in the brain through the trauma which makes them exhibit behavior like a primary psychopath but the secondary psychopath is not necessarily born not at all born that way they're not born with the disease with the sickness of the mind the port the important distinction there is that from what I understand and the research that I've done and what I think that is mainly understood between the primary and the secondary psychopath would be that there's a far greater majority of secondary psychopaths that are in society that we have to deal with that we're going to be discussing here in this episode in the next few episodes that the psychopathic tendency that's occurring and the behavior in the corporate world and the and the government structures and in society in general these traits that we're seeing and the symptoms we see of this from the psychopaths are mainly being echoed and repeated by secondary psychopaths and so that's kind of a good sign and a good thing to be aware of because that those people can actually be dealt with and possibly even you know helped to heal their sickness of the mind and their behavior and not be causing the chaos that the psychopaths are causing in our reality the bad you know the negative news there would be that the primary psychopaths like I was saying before, we there, I don't there isn't a way to actually heal this sickness, and this person literally has brain damage that cannot be healed, and there would you know have to be extensive diagno diagnostics done on that person to understand whether they're a primary or a secondary psychopath, and you know getting into this the diagnostics of a psychopath, I'm sure would not be a, a very easy or upfront diagnosis that you would just throw around really you know loosely with these individuals because if you were to discover that you were a psychopath I'm sure that wouldn't be the easiest thing to handle um, for someone to take in that information but so again that's the distinction between the primary and the secondary psychopath and again we're talking maybe one percent or less is an estimate of primary psychopaths possible real full-blown psychopaths operating in society but the number could be far less than one percent it could be even less than 0.5 percent and um, that's more where i would think 
that we're at in the numbers as far as that goes with the primary psychopath. But the secondary psychopaths, I mean, as we get into the different groups of people that these could be and why, you know, they're conditioned into reproducing the behavior and the characteristics of a primary psychopath, these people could be um, in greater, way greater numbers than one or 0.5%. This could be in the, you know, 10 to 20% range of people um, with secondary psychopathy or higher than that, you know, that we're obviously going to get into some speculation there. Um, cause you know, I, again, I'm not an expert in the field and I don't have the numbers in the tests to prove what percentage of people in society right now are operating as secondary psychopaths. But, you know, I'm sure that as we have a better understanding, maybe those numbers could be come up with one day. Um, but anyways, let's get into the char characteristics of psychopaths. These characteristics could be used to describe um, primary psychopaths or secondary psychopaths. So um, the characteristics we're going to go over obviously pertain to both primary and secondary. These would be something that could describe either one. Um, and the characteristics we're going to go over here, you know, anywhere from it looks like 15 to 20 characteristics would a person would have to have many of these characteristics not just a few not just a handful of them but you know more than half of the characteristics they would have to be um, shown to have these behavior traits to, to determine if that person is truly behaving as or is a full-blown psychopath and so you don't just want to hear me rattle off a few of these, you know, behavior characteristics and then come to jump to the conclusion that your best friend or your boss or your spouse is, must be a psychopath because they have a couple of these characteristics. No, that's not true. And any one person, including myself, could be exhibiting some of these characteristics sometimes or all the time or just because maybe somebody has a grandiose sense of self-worth self -worth, which is the first characteristic doesn't mean that they're a psychopath lots of people have a grandiose sense of self self-worth but that would be a characteristic that in combination with 10 you know or more of these other characteristics then you could start to paint a picture of okay so now we're dealing with something a little bit different here and the grandiose sense of self-worth is obviously just one of the characteristics of this person who we're talking about here has many of these characteristics. So, a grandiose sense of self-worth. You know, Mr. Big Shot. Look at me, you know. Look how amazing I am all the time, you know, with everything that I do. I've done it better than you and bigger. This kind of a thing. They could be extremely aggressive, callous, and cunning, and that's important. You know, these people could be extremely intelligent, well, extremely intellectual, let's say. I think intelligent would be the wrong word to use there. Extremely intellectual um, and cunning. So they have sometimes an extreme imbalance to one side of the brain or the other, and the left brain imbalanced, extremely cunning intellect that 
operates really fast and can kind of uh, decide to make decisions decision decisions a little rashly or it may you know quick decision making processes the ability to be um, not only extremely rational but extremely adept at converting that into getting what they want um, in a kind of deceptive way that doesn't necessarily um, you know isn't necessarily obvious to everyone else around but they're extremely well adapted to any number of situations that could come up where they want to use their cunning ability to take advantage of other people so that's an important characteristic of the psychopath next would be a complete absence or sense a complete absence of a sense of guilt or remorse for harm they have caused to others so they don't really have the ability to feel well they actually do not contain the ability in the primary psychopath to feel guilt or remorse for their actions and therefore you know have an extreme lack of the ability to feel empathy for others or um, definitely you know empathy for their own actions you know being things that normal people would feel such as guilt and remorse so that's another thing is the inability to feel um, bad for something that they do to somebody else or something else that causes harm to that individual um, so a compl a next would be a complete absence of consciousness or and or empathy so you know the inability to to feel empathy their complete a complete absence of conscience or empathy this would be you know one of the main dangerous char characteristics of a psychopath and kind of one of the more defining characteristics is this lack of empathy the next characteristic would be they're very adept at manipulating others especially emotionally so again the these people are typically looking to prey on somebody else. That's how they operate in life. It's not a creative person who can use their abilities to have a prosperous life around them through their own personal addition to society in a productive way. They're not producers. They don't produce things. They're manipulators. They're plunderers of others property they have an ability to deceive you with their cunning with their cunningness and manipulate you and then especially emotionally to be able to read your emotions and manipulate them to uh, for the benefit of that person a psychopath would also have a willingness to engage in criminal or immoral conduct and again this would be more or less for personal gain not necessarily as the movies or Hollywood portrays not the classic Hollywood psychopath that goes around murdering everyone this, this that's not really the bulk of the majority of psychopaths around us are not necessarily violent but they will engage in criminal or immoral conduct if it suits them at that time and if it 
is going to you know benefit them to do so then obviously at that point for the psychopath with the inability to feel guilt for their actions a lack of empathy you know no remorse they have you know an ability to engage in criminal or immoral conduct much more easily than the average person would who has to deal with things like you know the difference between right and wrong and having to deal with the emotion of guilt and you know things that would stop the average person from engaging in criminal behavior so again they have a willingness to take what they want and do as they please regardless of who is hurt or wronged so just because someone might be harmed because of the actions of a psychopath doesn't necessarily mean that these people are going to feel any negative emotions when it comes to that that doesn't make sense to them it doesn't it doesn't register with the psychopath that they might have harmed somebody physically or emotionally with their actions that's not a consideration the consideration is is this good for me am i going to get caught will other people look negatively upon me if i take this action if they don't know about it then obviously they can't and so is that when i take the action or not it's not the normal thought process that people go through which is again you know why these people may succeed in a corporate world and why they actually do succeed in a corporate world and be able, are able to climb to the top of these types of structures or political structures or you know financial structures is because the, you know this ruthless um, ability to take action without concern for the consequences of that behavior to anyone else as long as this person is going to get away with it without being harmed directly or immediately um, with any negative consequences to them then they'll take the action it's not any kind of moral or um, concern for the, you know if something is correct or not or if it's a right thing to do or any ethics applied to the behavior it's just personal gain and the consequences for the action as far as in the short-term consequence eventually the consequence will come for this person whether they know it or not and whether they want to believe that or not um, eventually those consequences will happen to the to the psychopath and so that's actually a flawed form of thinking which is why the rest of us understand this and use you know things like a conscience and uh, the ability to determine the difference between right and wrong and then the ability to align our behavior with that information so the psychopath is emotionally shallow and unable to feel a normal range of human emotions so th they may be able to put on a show that they are feeling emotions for other people so that those so they don't look like a psychopath but they're not able to actually feel a normal range of human emotions and in, especially in the primary psychopath they literally lack the capacity to do so it's not that they don't want to but that they literally in the physical brain lack the connections that are there to enable them to feel human emotions a, a normal range of human emotions and that's not that they don't want to again it's that they don't have the capacity to and that the secondary psychopath may or may not 
again be able to build the capacity to do so and that could just be something that needs to be worked on in that individual and you know they may be trying hard to hide their normal range of human emotions but in the secondary psychopath that's something that could possibly be worked on in that individual but with the primary psychopath it can't literally be done to fix them to start to feel empathy or typical emotions that somebody would go through when thinking of a, an action that they might take and this list is not encompassing it's not going to be something with a, every single characteristic of a psychopath it's just a list that I've put together from uh, you know other resources on the internet and other researchers things that they've put together as well as Dr. Robert Hare's list of the checklist for a psychopath which we'll cover a little bit more in this episode these people would also be having a deceptive ability to appear outwardly benevolent so again this kind of ties back into the grandiose sense of self-worth but also an ability to appear as if they're always looking out for the best interest of everyone else and maybe even more so than other people is the appearance that they're putting on that this that they're you know it's usually the person that puts on the biggest cheese smile and has the most uh you know positive attitude all the time they might have the darkest shadows hiding in you know in that person's closet or that could be the primary psychopath of the organization that you're dealing with or you know secondary psychopath would be this you know outward be outwardly benevolent attitude of you know oh i'm you know not only am i just so great but i'm also helping everyone and my intentions are always there to help mankind you know this person who puts on the face more than their actions actually illustrate and as a side note i mean that would be the way to identify a psychopath would be through watching their actions and that could take a long time and so these characteristics are a good way to start to put up the flag to maybe get the uh you know to start up the the alarm that there could possibly be a psychopath that you're dealing with but it would it would ultimately have to be through that person's behavior and typically over a period of time they would have to show if that person is a psychopath or not because they could be very good at fooling people in the short run but over the long run it's their behavior and you know the consequences of their behavior that you would be able to use to identify if that person is a psychopath or not um, but the checklist that we're going over now is a good way to start to determine if you possibly could be dealing with a psychopath okay so next is they would have a deceptive ability to behave in superficial charming ways to hide purely selfish motives so again I mean this ties back into some of the ones covered already is that this person is gonna behave like they're you know they're they have everyone's best interest in mind that and they're also very charming and very good at manipulating others into thinking that they're th the greatest person but then they're also just doing that to hide their own selfish motives it's a cover it's a smoke screen it's 
a way to kind of ink the water like the octopus to create a screen of imperceptibility so you can't really penetrate and see what that person's all about you know and then they then come in and actually take actions to get their own selfish motives accomplished and the smoke screen of the superficially charming person makes it creates an image in other people's minds that you know so and so could never have done anything like that i mean look at them they're they're great okay so next is a psychopath might be willing to use intimidation or violence to control others or to satisfy their own needs so this would you know be more of the aggressive type of psychopath maybe not overt control but definitely maybe a threat of violence or you know using coercive behavior to achieve their own needs and the willingness to do so you know again not having to have to feel with things like remorse or guilt so engaging in violent behavior is not weighed with the consequences of the violent behavior to somebody's physical being or to you know any kind of emotions that are going to have to be dealt with from the violent behavior but more or less if it's going to get them what they want and not going to have any negative consequences upon the psychopath then the ability to use violence to control others or coercive behavior there's no problem for the psychopath or to get others to do that type of behavior and that's another characteristic kind of that ties more into the secondary psychopath is you know it's possible that they could be more being controlled by the primary psychopaths and the secondary psychopaths are the hordes of order followers that are controlling um, the remainder of the population by following the kind of ideology and worldview of the primary psychopath and so someone who doesn't want to use violence themselves to control others can manipulate other people into using violence by believing that they have the right to do so because it's an order that they've taken by some oath that they hold to some you know fairy tale authority or something like that so next would be that they are willing um, to intentionally violate basic inherent rights basic inherent human rights of others so it ties right into everything we've talked about so far with the characteristics of a psychopath. They don't have an, an issue with violating someone's, you know, right to maintain their property without having any harm done to them, shutting down free speech, getting involved in someone in controlling someone else's free will or controlling their behavior is not an issue for the psychopath. This isn't something that comes up for them. This is not something that might cause them not to take certain actions. If it's going to get, again, if it's going to get what they want out of it and they're not going to be immediately faced with any repercussions from those actions, then, a you know, violating someone else's rights is no problem for the psychopath. These people... Uh, the next topic is a parasitic lifestyle. These individuals live like a parasite, not as a producing creative 
imaginative being, but they are manipulators. They are parasites of society. They're a kleptoparasite. They steal from others to and they plunder other people's property and labor and wealth. Um, that's how the psychopath operates, as a parasitic entity, not something creating some anything new, um, providing for others, but as more of a parasite on society. So they plunder labor, they plunder freedom, human freedom, specifically. You know, why we're discussing them here is as the Creature of Control series unfolds, we'll have to keep remembering back to the psychopath as partially an explanation for why some of these control systems might be in place and the the keeping in mind that the psychopath is a parasite that's a good way to remember you know why some of their behavior might be as it is because they don't have ability to be you know they can be extremely cunning and extremely left-brained and extremely with that way and uh you know, able to rationalize and, you know, adept ability to, you know, con, gain confidence of others to manipulate them. But that's, you know, not adding anything to society unless you have the right brain, more creative, you know, aspects as well. And the ability to produce and create things, you know, usually for the benefit of humanity or just, you know, the ability to create things in general to, you know, be able to uh, maintain your own self and so that you can take care of your own self at least but that's not the psychopath they are feeding on others and they'll continue to move around and feed on others until they found somewhere where they can feed on you know large groups of people in order to get their way in order to make their way as well so they also next have an ability to rationalize their own immoral behavior so they easily can cover up something that they did wrong because they do know the difference between right and wrong and they do understand the difference between you know harming someone and not they just don't feel any of the emotions that are associated with any behavior that they might take in taking any actions like that so when we say rationalize their own immoral behavior well why would they do that because they get why what is wrong they're they don't they just don't care they just don't have any care to you know use that as an, a reason not to take a certain action they're not using emotions to decide that behavior they're and then they can easily rationalize their own immoral behavior because it's you know a sort of a cognitive dissonance in the psychopath to be able to continue immoral behavior even though they know it's wrong because it's getting them per personal gain and you know providing to their selfish needs and not necessarily are their actions right but they're able to rationalize that behavior regardless next is the psychopath can lay blame upon someone else for their own conduct so again in their attempt to cover their tracks they could lay that blame on somebody else or you know basically set someone else up to take the fall for their actions again very good at planning very good at acting very good at taking actions for their own selfish motives but then also very good at not getting caught 
at the behavior. So denial would be another characteristic characteristic of a psychopath. Um, just straight up denial of of actions that they might have taken and the ability for them to do that without blinking twice, without thinking twice about it, just outright lying about their behavior. They have an utter contemptuousness towards the feeling and desires of their fellow beings. So they kind of almost despise, this could be a characteristic of a psychopath, is they could despise the fact that other people are feeling, that could make them feel uncomfortable, that could make them angry at other people, is they could, they literally despise and hold in contempt that other people feel certain range of emotions and this is a big one because this literally drives some of the larger agenda agendas that we can see happening in society and this would be something that a psychopath could use to claim that they are actually the more evolved form of the species that their lack of ability to feel a certain range of emotions is actually a benefit to them because now they can operate in life and do what's best for them without having to deal with feeling the normal range of emotions and so having this contempt towards others and also you know propagating that behavior on to the rest of society through the secondary psychopaths and through propaganda in general kind of a lack of you know acceptance for people feeling emotions could be part of this characteristic as well next would be the psychopath would be, you know, could be into pathological lying and a willingness to say anything without any concern for truth in order to advance their own agendas. So, you know, again, it doesn't matter if it's right, wrong, if it's ethical, if it's moral. As long as they're going to get away with it, then the lying is not a problem for a psychopath. It's just not an issue. They have no consideration for how, you know, ridiculous the lie is or how the person who they're lying to might feel about that. And this is a, something that most people would feel horrible about lying and don't feel right about telling lies to other people. Most people perceive have a ish have a hard time even believing that psychopathy exists which i guess we need to cover here too as well is that problem of just ignoring this altogether and saying that there is no such thing as a psychopath and that doesn't explain certain things that are happening in society and ignoring it outright but we'll get to that a psychopath has no issue lying to other people but most people would have an issue with that and most people don't have many if any of these traits at all that we've covered so far because they can feel a normal range of human emotions and they do have understand one that there's a consequence for their actions most people understand that and that people most people feel guilty or remorseful for their actions and they're not going to do certain things out of a sense of right you know based on not only knowing and understanding natural law principles but also just an intuitive understanding that you're born with that most people are born with 
of the difference between right and wrong, which can be discovered and discussed later on in this podcast series, not in this episode. Next is going to be many short-term relationships that could be a characteristic of a psychopath. They could leave a, a pathway of destruction behind them, a wake of destruction of bad relationships, um, or just many, you know, quick, short relationships. Again, they will move around frequently in order to find more prey and people to prey upon. So relationships are included in that. If it's not working out, if the psychopath is discovered, if they're not anymore gaining much from the person that they're with, they'll dump them and move on. No remorse for that. And leaving people in really bad situations it could probably be more common that they would leave them when they're down and out, sort of, or the situation's got a little rocky. That's when the immediate cut, cutting off of that person would occur. You know, the psychopath is not going to have an issue with leaving someone at a bad time or in shambles. The other thing, the next thing, is the ability to feign normal human emotions and empathy. So... Something that needs to be thought about is that the psychopath would realize, you know, primary or secondary, and depending on how early with the secondary psychopath, would realize early on that they are different than other people. They would notice from certain situations happening around them that they aren't feeling normal human emotions and that everyone else is around them, and that they would realize immediately that they are quite different than everyone else and that they are not like other people and so they would then out of an attempt to fit in and not be discovered for this abnormality would start to actually practice showing other human emotions and showing empathy and you know, again, if you don't believe a psychopath exists, that might sound a little bit bizarre, but because the normal person doesn't have to practice feeling emotions, but the psychopath might literally practice, like go up and like you know, alone while they're alone, like sit and actually practice feeling human emotions that they've seen other people exhibit. So they could become, you know, very good at pretending or acting as if they're feeling normal human emotions but really they're it's just it's all just to trick and manipulate the person or the people that they're dealing with all right next would be the psychopath would have a total failure to accept any responsibility for their own um, socially irresponsible ways or a sense for um, accepting any responsibility for the consequences of their own actions and an extreme distorted reality about how that works. And this could be kind of how the psychopath is discovered is that they may overdo it and they may take actions which can eventually be led to their discoveries. And that's what, you know, I'd stated earlier is that the way to discover a psychopath would be through their actions and to watch how that person actually behaves, what they actually do, not just what they say or look like or feel like or seem like or what they pretend that they do, but actually what they do and their 
that's how if you were to try to determine if someone was a psychopath who was close to you and you would have to be close to them and it would take some study and so that's probably why one of the reasons why these people aren't discovered in society and especially the ones that work their way up the ladders in the corporate structures and the political structures the reason why they're not discovered is because they're extremely adept at covering their tracks and hiding what they're doing and also you know most people don't want to believe that these people do exist and all you know so they don't even want to believe that the lies and all that could even be true and then people are you know attributing the psychopaths they're they're attributing their own morals and their own way of being to the site to other people that's one big problem in general with society you know being perfect for the psychopath to breed and to feed on people in society is that people don't they want to have they have cognitive dissonance about the psychopath they won't even accept that it's real and then they attribute their morals and their way of being to other people including the psychopath so they just figure that because they would never lie or they would never do a certain behavior that nobody else would either you know how could there be this going on and I would never do that that's a horrible thing to do well just because you wouldn't do a certain thing doesn't mean that the psychopath would have no problem in the in a heartbeat taking that same action when we're talking we could even be talking about having to do with murder or have people dying you know people making decisions to go to war if it's a psychopath and the decision is you know hey we need to take this action and millions of people could die to them that's not a concern it's only is it going to push the agenda forward or not it's not the million people the couple thousand the few thousand here a few thousand there to the psychopath you know at the top of a corporation or of a government agency you know department of defense whatever advisory to the president is not going to have an issue if they're a psychopath with the consequences of the actions being that thousands hundreds of thousands millions of people die that's not part of the you know equation to them it's only is it going to move the agenda forward will we get away with it will i get away with it is there going to be negative consequences to me directly for these actions or not and then can the action be taken and then moving forward with that not you know doesn't matter if it's correct if it's right if it aligns with reality if it aligns with the truth in reality the actions will still be taken and that's again how we discover who the psychopaths are is by their actions so um, the psychopath has a strong finally here the a strong belief that they will never be brought to justice for their criminal behaviors and this is certainly not the case they will be brought to justice for their behaviors whether here in the physical domain or at some point later but they will be brought to justice and it's our job to bring them to justice that's what our role is to do is to bring the psychopaths to justice here in the physical domain and make them realize that there will be consequences for their actions and that their belief that they will not be brought to justice for their criminal behavior is where again they're flawed in their thinking 
just because they have this way of behaving doesn't mean it's correct and that they have many flaws in the way that they think and that the reason why these people the corporate psychopath whatever you want to call it succeeds in society is because of our institutions are created to kind of facilitate the psychopath so that's why we're discussing it here in the podcast is to kind of raise awareness on the fact that it exists and the fact that it can be addressed and the fact that we can bring these people to justice and change the way that things are structured in society so that it doesn't breed and feed psychopaths and again the fact that the psychopath thinks that they will not be brought to justice is absolutely incorrect and they will be brought to justice again you know the primary psychopath realizes at an early age that they're different than other people and that they're not feeling the same emotions as other people do around them so you know just to recover that point is that these people pretend and literally play act as like other people do to fit in there isn't a cure for psychopathy known to modern forms of technology or modern medicine and the primary psychopath literally has a form of brain damage um, with severed connections to higher parts of the brain and that cannot be addressed from any method that we're aware of to this point but so where our focus should lie in addressing this it would be with the secondary psychopaths and people that the primary psychopaths again they see themselves as superior in society they see their traits as something beneficial to humans that they can have the ability to not feel emotions is actually a benefit to these people how they think anyways and they create intentionally secondary psychopaths in great numbers compared to the numbers of primary psychopaths to kind of make the world more psychopathic you know to make more and more people behave this way is a good thing to the primary psychopath you know think about that if you were one type of person and you were much different than everyone else you would attempt to create and bring more people into your ranks so that you had more people on your team more people acting like you do making it more acceptable apparently i mean in the mind of a psychopath anyway so the method that the psychopaths are using one of the primary methods to attempt to control other human beings so they can manipulate them to plunder their property and wealth would be an age-old tactic of order out of chaos and you know for those adept into studying the occult or um, dabbling in that kind of information this is not a new concept and order out of chaos is something that probably maybe a lot of people are familiar with but it's a, it's another way to look at it would be through the Hegelian dialectic which is problem reaction solution which is you know creating a problem insinuating the reaction and directing it and then stepping in with the solution all coming from the same group of people George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel I uh, believe that's his name I'll have to spot check that during the editing but um, 
George Hegel uh, was a philosopher who kind of theorized on this method of attempting to control human behavior, which wasn't necessarily malicious in his, you know, putting these thoughts down, but has been picked up and taken and used in malicious ways by certain groups of people throughout history, and any well-read um, historian or anyone who wants to take a look throughout history would see the Hegelian dialectic being deployed quite frequently. And it creates this order out of chaos type situation where you create the chaos and then step in with the order that just happens to benefit you and your agenda, right? This is a very psychopathic way of operating, you know, but it's also interesting that the the term order out of chaos actually comes from order ob chao, which is Latin and means order out of chaos or order from disorder. And some speculate that the term was coined by Freemasons and the term actually is the motto of the 33rd degree Mason in the Scottish Rite Freemasonry. So that's where the term comes from in the modern day is from order ob chao from the Latin phrase again which means order out of chaos and this is kind of a tactic that has been adopted by governments and intelligence agencies in governments and control systems throughout history you know not just in the modern day so kind of a quote here from Robert Hare who was discussed in some of those introductory introductory clips in the montage the in, the introduction clips Robert Hare is one of the more prominent researchers on psychopathy, and his research has created the checklist, which will be included in the episode notes, as well as was discussed in those clips in the beginning of the episode. And here he says, if I, have, if I could have a choice of where to research psychopaths, I would like to study those that work at the stock exchange. So he's, you know... He's representing there that he knows that these people aren't just in prison, which is where he mainly studied them, but are in the highest structures of corporations, banking, finance, and p political groups, and especially the government. That's where the psychopaths can thrive. Not to say that they're all there, but that this is those institutions are you know, very opportunistic to them. Another term we need to go over here is uh, intraspecific kleptoparasitism or an intraspecific kleptoparasite and differentiating that from interspecific or intraspecific. See, we need to determine here if we're dealing with a species that's like ours or is ours the human species or if it's something different but like our species and that's debatable and open for discussion is are we dealing with an interspecies predator or an intraspecies predator and the difference would be an intraspecific kleptoparasite would be one that steals 
food or property from members of its own species, so intra in within the species. An interspecific kleptoparasite would be something that steals food from members of other species or steals property, plunders wealth from other species not within its own. But they're still a kleptoparasite nonetheless. They still operate and live by plundering and stealing from others. I would argue that it's within the species, That's, but again, I'm not set with that opinion and I don't have enough information to determine if it's a s within the human species or if it's an altogether new, different modification of the human species that we're dealing with here. And, you know, we'd probably have to dig more into the origins of the psychopath to really get into that, to understand, you know, where this comes from, why the genome has been damaged in a way that allows for a psychopath um, and more of how it came about and again we'd have to go into some theorizing there and open discussion as to far as where the psychopath derives and where this comes from because I don't think it's natural personally I don't think that this is a natural thing it's a flaw that's been created you know potentially by something else that's not you know, that isn't correct with our, our path that we were on as a human species and that something has come, come in and thwarted that and created, you know, the psychopath, which could be the, you know, the reason for the creature of control and the, the rest of the remainder of this podcast series, the topics that we'll be going into could all tie back to deriving from this kind of psychopath behavior that we can identify happening in the reality around us for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear yeah an intraspecific kleptoparasite of the same species but preys on its own species in order to live so a psychopath could also be another attribute that a little bit more defined could be a solipsist which is a topic we're going to go into in the next episodes. Solipsism, from the Latin solus, meaning alone, and epse, meaning self. So, all alone, just the self, is all that exists. The way of looking at things from only one's perspective exists and nothing else can truly be known besides maybe that, you know, that... Anything that this person creates in their own mind is the truth, but beyond that, how can we actually know? You know, that's the mind of a solipsist, is very much a moral relativist. Um, definitely an attribute that could be applied to a psychopath is the inability to perceive reality as it is, and only the ability to perceive reality as they create it and then believing that that's true, that there isn't actually such a thing as a baseline reality that exists that can be known, and we can align our perception with that reality, but rather that, you know, the solipsist is creating reality in their own mind, and every everybody creates their own individual reality, and that nothing can really be known for sure. You know, that's solipsism, and obviously a flawed way of seeing the world. Because there is a reality and a truth that can be discovered through a process or processes. And 
we can work to align our perception with reality in order to promote free life without chaos that results from the ignorance or the misperception of what reality is. Actions being taken with misperceptions of reality can end up resulting in further and more chaos or destruction to humans because of a misrepresentation or misunderstanding of reality. So we'll take a more in-depth look at solipsism in future episodes, and I just kind of wanted to tag that on as a final characteristic of a psychopath for this premiere episode of The Creature of Control. And it also, it's important to address here that just because I'm going into depth into psychopathy doesn't mean that all the problems in the world that we see today are because of psychopaths themselves. And that if we just went out and took care of all the psychopaths, that everything would be better. That's not necessarily what I'm saying, because what we need to acknowledge is that it's actually the hordes of people that are mimicking or following along or going along with the psychopaths' behavior that are causing the problems that we can see manifesting in the world today. That is the major issue that needs to be addressed is the people that are following along with the psychopathic tendencies being laid out by the control freaks who want to control and manipulate other people. It's the kind of the people that are going along with that that are more or less the problem, not, or, you know, absolutely more, I would say, the problem. And directing our attention at just eliminating the psychopaths would only be one end of the issue that needs to be addressed because just taking these people out and maybe you know rounding them up and taking them out wouldn't necessarily fix the issues of tyrannical governments um, in corporations ruining the, destroying the planet um, mass starvation you know genetically modified food geoengineering um, debt slavery coercion corruption you know violent behavior from government towards its own citizens Um, there's a reason why that exists and it's not necessarily just because of the psychopaths at the top you know what about all the people that are allowing that to happen and just okay with idly sitting by and, and allowing these things to happen without taking any action themselves to correct the behavior and so you know it's one thing for someone to sell a lie and continue to use propaganda to prop up the lie and move the lie forward and but who's actually buying the lie that's the question you know that needs to be asked is not who's selling the lie but who's buying it and so just because we're focusing here on the psychopaths in this episode doesn't mean that's where the attention needs to be directed to actually get out of the situation um, that we'll be in when we talk about these different control mechanisms to subvert human behavior in future episodes so That being said, some topics that we'll be going into in the near future are going to be social Darwinism, moral relativism, solipsism, covered more in depth, and another one will be eugenics. These topics tie back to psychopathy because, you know, they're kind of theories that promote and help to 
add value to psychopathic behavior. Um, so when we talk about moral relativism or social Darwinism, those two topics are things that psychopaths pick up as science that they can then use to further their agenda of control. And then again, solipsism is another worldview kind of idea that they use to justify things as well. And a uh, manifestation of this kind of ideology would be eugenics and the difference between positive and negative eugenics, and we'll be going into that further, as well as, you know, the many other topics that we've discussed previously in this episode. So to close out the episode before episode two, I'll start working on the production of that episode after the final editing and publishing of this episode. We're going to finish this episode with the documentary film, the audio from that, Defense Against the Psychopath by Stefan Verstappen. And that, I think, is one of the better brief summaries of psychopathy in a nice documentary film to kind of go over the defense against the psychopath and how to defend yourself against these people. But I want to close out my portion of the podcast with a quote, and it's a, a sample from The Stellar Man by John Baines. And I'll try to include The Stellar Man, a link to that if I can find one in the show notes. And it goes like this. You, seeker of wonder, you, candidate for initiation, do not look into the distance. Gather all your energy within yourself. Forget about India and Tibet. Do not cry out for God, Allah, or Jesus. What you look for is right where you are at this moment. Yes, stop looking toward the outside and bury your sight deeply within yourself. Tune your perceptions. Sharpen your eyes. And there, in the center of your being, are you, your I, your real essence, the truth behind lies, the immortal energy that gives life to the clay that is you. And again, that's from the book The Stellar Man by John Baines, and I do recommend reading that book. And thank you for tuning in to episode one of the Creature of Control podcast series. Who is the creature and how to identify psychopaths in our midst? This has been a Within the Stones media production. Thank you, and we'll see you next episode. Psychopathy infects the full spectrum of humanity, irrespective of race, culture, geography, economic class, or personality type. It is distributed in a population in a similar way that left-handedness is. One would not notice a person as left-handed until you see him write or catch a ball. Similarly, one may not notice a psychopath until you see him do something that requires them to have a conscience. Most people think of a psychopath as a rare creature found only in the lowest levels of society. However, the reverse is true. 
They are not rare, but actually quite common, and you are more likely to find psychopaths in the boardroom than on the wrong side of the tracks. The reason is that the more competitive a particular environment is, the more ruthless the use of the cheating strategy becomes. Within the highest circles of power and wealth, a lack of pity and remorse is practically a prerequisite to success, and only the psychopathic mentality can thrive. Because of the tremendous destruction psychopaths reap on society, it is vital for everyone to be aware of their existence and to recognize their behavior traits. Understanding them is the first step to defending against them. Key Characteristics Lack of Empathy Empathy is the ability to experience within oneself the feelings and emotions expressed by others. It is what allows us to feel what others are feeling. It is why we are inspired by works of art, music, and poetry. Empathy allows us to experience the grandeur of life, to be truly alive, and is one of the defining characteristics of what makes us human. Psychopaths have no empathy, and as a result, they are neither truly human nor truly alive. When they see normals, admiring a piece of art, or playing with their children, or caring for a pet, or any number of human emotional interactions, they cannot understand what all the fuss is about. Psychopaths realize at an early age that they are different, and that they should act as everyone else does, in order to be accepted into society. They learn to mimic what they see others do, but they can never understand why they should act this way. Although they are consummate actors, careful observation will reveal telltale cracks in their facade. They know enough to fake concern when someone is sick, or to pretend happiness when some good fortune befalls a friend. But in situations where the psychopath has no pre-rehearsed act, their ad-lib often reveals a stunning lack of empathy. For example, if attending a funeral, a psychopath would correctly mimic the same expressions of sadness as the other mourners, but then makes sexual advances towards the grieving widow, clueless to the gross inappropriateness of such an action. People with empathy would instinctively understand such behavior as inappropriate. However, the psychopath cannot. Lack of remorse. Remorse is an emotional expression of personal regret felt by a person after he or she has committed an act which they deem to be shameful, hurtful, or violent. This very definition precludes a psychopath from experiencing such a feeling. With no empathy, there can be no emotional expression. Nor can a psychopath feel shame, nor comprehend that anything they do can be harmful to others. Psychopaths understand when people are angry with them for their behavior, and as a last resort, they may pretend they are sorry. But unlike most people, they are not the least bit disturbed by feelings of guilt. Remorse is a powerful negative emotion that causes turmoil in those that feel it, turmoil that often results in self-destructive or self-deprecating behaviors. The psychopath may pretend remorse, but their real behavior is not changed. They still go shopping, they still go to parties, they have no problems sleeping at night.
Superficiality Passion drives someone to go further than needed to explore, learn, and master a subject. Most people enjoy listening to music, but it is someone passionate about music that goes on to learn how to play an instrument. Similarly, many people are interested in new technology, but only a passionate person goes on to become an engineer. Lacking passion for anything other than themselves, psychopaths can never penetrate beyond the surface of most knowledge. As a result, they exhibit a superficial comprehension of some or many subjects, but are often seen by true experts as being shallow. Their superficiality extends to their attempts at acting normal by exhibiting false emotions through an exaggerated effect. Grandiosity Despite being shallow and superficial, psychopaths show no self-esteem issues. Psychopaths live in a falsely constructed worldview in which they are both literally and figuratively God. Often seen as megalomaniacs, they also have an equally overblown sense of entitlement. Irresponsibility Psychopaths are irresponsible because nothing is ever their fault. Someone else, or the world at large, is always to blame for all of their problems. This makes sense if you understand that psychopaths think themselves perfect. Nothing wrong can ever originate with them, and so logic, the psychopath's logic, dictates that everything bad is always someone else's fault. Impulsive Behavior the psychopath's impulsive behavior makes sense in light of their megalomania. In their world, whatever they want now is good, and whatever they do not want is bad. If a psychopath wants sex and his date will not provide it, then rape is good and the date is bad. If someone has money in his or her pocket and the psychopath wants it, then robbery is good and the victim is bad for possessing something the psychopath wanted. If this strikes the reader as insane, it is. One of the earliest writers on the subject of psychopathy, J.C. Pritchard, coined the now-defunct term moral insanity as a way to describe psychopathy in 1835. Compulsive Lying Living at the expense of the rest of humanity would be an impossible situation in a rational society. Psychopaths have solved this dilemma through their premier weapon, lies. Lies hold together their view of themselves, their own private universe, and facilitate their need to live parasitically off the rest of society. Without empathy, shame, and remorse, they are free to lie as often and as outrageously as they please. Normal people would blush or sweat or tremble if they dared stretch the truth to the same degree. However, for the psychopath, lying is as easy and natural as breathing. This is why they often pass polygraphs. They do not register the physiological reactions that non-psychopaths would when lying. They are so good at lying they can fool trained psychiatrists and even other psychopaths. What is important to know is that given the right circumstances they can fool anyone. Manipulative 
Hand in hand with the psychopath's extraordinary ability to lie comes the ability to manipulate others for their own benefit. Having spent their lifetime studying us, psychopaths are masters of manipulation and experts on knowing how to push our buttons to use our emotions against us. They use this ability to keep those around them confused, unable to think clearly, and off balance. Psychopaths also learn very early how their personalities can have traumatizing effects on the personalities of non-psychopaths and how to take advantage of this for the purpose of achieving their goals. Like an electric eel that stuns its prey with an electroshock, psychopaths in human personality and uncanny ability to manipulate can psychologically stun their intended victims. Antisocial Behavior the very essence of the psychopath is antisocial. Their lack of empathy for other people extends onto society and the environment. Vandalism, pollution, graffiti, animal abuse, environmental destruction, building code violations, reckless driving, and a host of morally and socially unacceptable activities are of no concern to the psychopath. These, then, are the basic characteristics that psychopaths exhibit. Bear in mind that few psychopaths will express all of the characteristics and that non-psychopaths can have many of these characteristics as well. Common Types of Psychopaths While there are as many variations in the personalities of psychopaths as there are among normal people, the following lists some general stereotypes. Narcissists the most benign form of psychopathology is pathological narcissism. Narcissists, like the mythological Greek namesake Narcissus, are so overcome with self-love that nothing else in the world matters to them. They need a constant source of narcissistic supply, which is attention, adoration, recognition, awards, and praise. There are two basic types of narcissist the somatic and the cerebral. Somatic narcissists take pride in their looks and appearance. They will flaunt their sexual exploits, brag of their accomplishments, show off their muscles, and display their toys. They are often health nuts, hypochondriacs, and sex addicts. Because of their barren inner life, they continually need new thrills simply for the rush of adrenaline. These thrills range from criminal activity and substance abuse to increasingly bizarre sexual acts. Cerebral narcissists love their own minds. They are arrogant, condescending, and know-it-alls that pride themselves on being smarter than everyone else. Their narcissistic supply comes from fame, notoriety, awards, and displays of wealth to create envy in others. The danger to the public from narcissists is to drain on energy, time, resources, and emotional well-being. A narcissist is interested in a person only for what narcissistic supply that person can provide. They will gladly accept love, attention, affection, adoration, praise, emotional and financial support, but being without empathy, they cannot reciprocate any of it. Any partnership they enter into will always be one-sided. 
once a person ceases to be the source of narcissistic supply, or a better source comes along, they are discarded without hesitation or consideration. Thus do narcissists leave behind them a trail of broken hearts, broken dreams, empty wallets, and abandoned children. The Victim Commonly used by female psychopaths, but by no means unheard of among males, is the professional victim stereotype. Preying on what psychopaths see as weakness in others, sympathy, the female psychopath appears helpless, pitiful, emotionally fragile, persecuted, and sexually vulnerable. She pretends heartfelt gratitude for whatever small kindnesses strangers provide her. But behind the mask is a cunning, ruthless, and loveless predator. Often using sex as the hook, they can juggle several victims at a time, draining them of life and money until there is nothing left, then skipping town to avoid the repercussions. Con Artists Not all con artists are psychopaths, but psychopaths make convincing con artists. Being excellent liars... They put that talent to use by cheating others. Without a conscience or remorse to stand in the way, they are free to cheat old women out of their life savings, sell quack cures to terminally ill patients, or shortchange the blind. They are usually charming, articulate, and convincing, and make successful salespersons. Unlike the narcissist, the con artist is not as concerned about love or attention as money. There are two types of cons psychopaths engage in, the short con and the big store con. The short con is probably the one that most often comes to mind when thinking about con artists. These are the tricks and cheats that require no great intelligence to pull off, such as shortchanging, bait-and-switch, and a three-card Monty, to name a few. Psychopaths that have a higher intelligence level and or come from a more respectable background, are more likely to establish the big store con. These are large-scale frauds that all rely on a basic strategy. Take something of little to no value, artificially inflate that perceived value, sell to gullible investors, take the money and run. Traditional big store cons use real estate, stocks, and bonds as the lure even reputable multinational corporations, accounting firms, and banks are all capable of being nothing more than a large-scale con. While the short con can deprive a victim of a few to a few thousand dollars, the big store cons are especially destructive, capable of destroying an entire nation's economy. Malevolent Psychopaths more popularly known as antisocial personality disorder, or sociopaths, the malevolent psychopath is the real-life monster of our nightmares. These are the wife-beaters, murderers, serial killers, stalkers, rapists, sadists, pedophiles, gangsters, interrogators, and terrorists. They are usually career criminals and can amass an extensive criminal record while still in their early teens often showing their contempt with a sneer or smirk and with a vacant stare from cold, predatory eyes. They are dangerous, unpredictable, and easily triggered into violence. 
cowardly and sadistic, they tend to target the most vulnerable in society, women, children, and the elderly and disabled. Often impulsive and opportunistic, sociopaths will not hesitate to commit any type of crime and will use manipulation, intimidation, and violence to get what they want. Professional Psychopaths the malevolent psychopath is the most dangerous. However, it is the professional psychopath that is the most destructive. While the victims of the former can range into the dozens, the victims of the professional psychopath can run into the tens of millions. These psychopaths litter history with genocides and the destruction of entire nations and empires. Historical examples include such monsters as Stalin, Pol Pot, Ivan the Terrible, and Caligula. While there are many that make it to the pinnacle of the political stage, there are also such historical figures as J.P. Morgan, Randolph Hearst, and Meyer Rothschild, professional psychopaths that reach the pinnacle of the financial stage where they cause no less misery and destruction as their political counterparts. The professional psychopath is just as malevolent, narcissistic, and remorseless as the other stereotypes. They are just much smarter. They can be found in any profession, but usually governments, corporations, and religions will be thick with them. In a corporation, the professional psychopaths are ideally suited for advancement they can masterfully fake their abilities and credentials, use their intellect and charm to manipulate and exploit others, and generally backstab their way to a high position. Once in power, their masks slip, and they abuse their power and bully and sabotage their co-workers and subordinates. In politics, the professional psychopath's ruthlessness and cunning gives them a distinct advantage over any non-psychopath rival. They make charismatic leaders, manipulating and brainwashing the naive, vulnerable, uneducated, or mentally weak. Mastery of lying allows them to make whatever outrageous campaign promises straight-faced, with, of course, no intention of keeping any of them. A life spent faking being human gives them the ability to assume the roles of virtuous public servant, the perfect father, husband, adviser, mentor, and every man. In addition, when things get rough, they have no inhibitions in playing dirty, and readily resort to murder, assassination, persecution, war, and genocide. The third sphere of power that has traditionally attracted more than its fair share of psychopaths is religion. A quick glance at the history of religion, from the bloody sacrifices of the Aztec priests to the tortures of the Spanish Inquisitions, and through seemingly endless religious wars waged in the name of peace and love, makes their influence plainly visible to all willing to look. Since most, if not all, great religions are constructed on falsehoods, compulsive liars make the perfect proselytizers. I look at recently created religions such as Mormonism and Scientology show their founders, Joseph Smith and L. Ron Hubbard respectively, were at least compulsive liars and more likely full-blown psychopaths. 
charismatic cult leaders such as Jim Jones and Sung Young Moon were indeed psychopaths, while televangelist preachers that rake in millions from their gullible flocks are at best con artists of the highest caliber. When psychopaths dominate and seize control of the major cultural institutions that influence a society, a final type of psychopath is created. Secondary Psychopaths While the classic genetic psychopath is one who is born with whatever genetic trait that causes this pathology, there is another group of people that behaves just like the classic psychopath who were not born that way but were created. Secondary psychopaths are created in two ways, through trauma and through groups. Trauma from an accident, drug addiction, or severe physical and psychological abuse can destroy that part of the frontal cortex of the brain where empathy and conscience is processed. While such individuals are a tragic reality in our society, they are in most cases just as incurable as their genetic counterparts are. The second way in which psychopaths are created is through groups. There are certain groups that will attract psychopaths because of the opportunities of power and influence membership provides. Usually such groups will quickly become led and dominated by psychopaths. Other non-psychopathic members of these groups would have to become psychopaths in order to survive. For example, in a street gang, sociopaths make the best leaders, and therefore most gangs have a sociopath at its head. Other psychopaths are also attracted to the violence and power of a street gang, and so together they create a psychopathic value system. The gang becomes a psychopathic entity. The non-psychopathic youth who must live within the territory of such a gang is given two choices become a victim of the gang, or join them. By joining the gang, the new recruit must also adopt the group's twisted value system and behave accordingly, thus becoming a secondary psychopath. Conversely, at the other end of the scale, we can see the same principle at work in corporations. The money and power of a corporation attracts the cerebral and narcissistic psychopaths. In a corporate environment, they have many advantages over their non-psychopathic competitors for promotion. Not surprisingly, most corporations end up being run by psychopaths. As with a criminal gang, a corporation's culture adopts the twisted values of its leaders. Those who would seek employment must likewise adopt, or at least appear to adopt, the corporation's essentially psychopathic mindset. What is important to understand is that a mob has no conscience. Individual members may or may not have a conscience, but when they are part of a mob, they will have none. Most organizations, from street gangs to corporations, are mobs. It would be a mistake to place your trust in them, since they can turn predatory in a moment and deprive you of time, money, sanity, and livelihood. The Psychopath's Modus Operandi 
One weakness psychopaths have is that once one studies them and begins to understand them, they become predictable. While tactics vary from one to another, most psychopaths follow a similar strategy when conning either an individual or an organization. Their strategy is as follows. The Interview Psychopaths are experts at cold reading. First used by psychologists to describe what phony fortune-tellers do, cold reading is the ability to guess a person's personality type quickly through verbal and nonverbal communication. The technique is simple. Ask questions and watch the responses. Psychopaths will cold read you as part of what is called the interview stage. The whole purpose of the interview is for the psychopath to size you up as a potential victim. They make mental notes of different ways they could possibly manipulate you. The Seduction Should you or your organization be seen as a suitable victim, the next stage is the seduction. Based on the results of their interview, the psychopath will tailor the seduction to your personality. If concerned about your appearance, they will flatter your good looks. If insecure about your education, they will flatter you about your intelligence. If greedy, they will have insider information on a get-rich-quick scheme. And if cowardly, then only the psychopath can protect you from your fears. On a personal level, they will shower you with praise and attention in a whirlwind romance. They make sure that being around them is fun and exciting, so that you become addicted to the adrenaline rush they create. On the organizational level, they pretend to be the perfect employee, the most devout follower, and the most dedicated public servant. They work to ingratiate themselves first to the doorkeepers, and finally the power holders often by being shameless sycophants and bootlickers. Divide and Conquer Just as a pride of lions will seek to separate a targeted wildebeest from the rest of the herd, so psychopaths seek to isolate their victims from the rest of humanity. They accomplish this through the tactic of divide and conquer. In a personal relationship, the psychopath will sabotage and undermine his or her victim's relationships with family and friends. Exasperated by the negative drama and costs associated with the victim, their friends and family drop out of contact, leaving the victim without the support and guidance of their social group. In an organizational setting, psychopaths are the consummate office politicians. They seek to create factions within the organization and then turn those factions against each other to create as much chaos as possible. Psychopaths swim in chaos, and the more the better. Secretly, they start to draw the gullible, weak-minded, and fellow psychopaths to their side while intensifying their efforts to have the most talented, honest, and incorruptible members, ones that could have the strength of character to expose them, expelled. They poison the environment in a variety of ways so that everyone feels irritable, edgy, and unable to perform their jobs. 
control of the organization slips into the hands of the source behind the dysfunction, the psychopath who created it all. Fear and Tyranny The final stage of the psychopath's strategy is tyranny, the absolute and sadistic control over his victims. In a relationship, the honeymoon is over and the mask comes off. The psychopath suddenly becomes controlling, abusive, and violent. Instead of flattery and attention, the tactics are now fear, intimidation, extortion, and emotional blackmail. On the organizational level, one sees benefits being cut while time cards and production quotas and surveillance increases. Employees become slaves, powerless, and disposable cogs in a machine run for the sole benefit of the psychopaths in charge. On the national level, countries ruled by psychopaths become corrupt and brutish police states, constantly at war with created and imaginary enemies. The population becomes paranoid, neurotic, and ultimately secondary psychopaths. In a psychopathic culture, everyone must adopt a ruthless attitude as a survival strategy. Defense against a psychopath Facing evil One of the greatest advantages psychopaths have is that average decent people cannot believe that such monsters truly exist. This inability to comprehend the predator mentality is partly due to popular morality. All societies promote simplistic and idealistic morality through schools and churches that teach such platitudes as everyone has some good in them, everyone is special, and so forth. Such ideals more often serve as a cover behind which the true machinations of society can operate without evoking the suspicion of the mob. Another reason that people cannot face evil is fear. The true nature of psychopaths is the stuff of childhood nightmares. Many people simply cannot deal with the fear this realization causes, and so, to soothe their nerves, they revert to an infantile strategy of denial and magical thinking. If they do not acknowledge the existence of monsters, then the monsters cannot hurt them. The first line of defense against psychopaths is acknowledging their existence. By doing so, one develops a psychological advantage. Forewarned is forearmed, and having braced oneself with knowledge of predatory individuals, one is better able to think clearly and thus spot the predator before he can spot you. Once you accept the reality that human predators populate our society, the next line of defense is in identifying them. Because of their abilities at camouflage and deception, psychopaths are difficult to spot. They can fool even mental health professionals. It is important to understand that everyone can be conned. If you feel that you are the exception, you only make yourself more susceptible. Recognition A psychopath is like a smoking ember. The sooner you can spot the smoke and douse the ember, the better, since after the house is on fire, it is too late to contain the damage and destruction. Learn to spot the typical psychopathic character traits and recognize their modus operandi.
where possible, do background checks and or speak with the suspected psychopath's family and friends. Most psychopaths leave a long trail of destruction and heartbreak and will try to cover their tracks. A lack of background information is therefore as suspicious as a history of betrayals. Another of their fundamental flaws is a lack of patience and the incredible energy they use to maintain their facade. Over time, they drop their masks. Thus, one of the best methods of detecting psychopaths is to wait them out. Once you identify someone as being a psychopath, you have only two options, attack or evade. What not to do what is vital to understand is that empathy cannot defeat the psychopath. You cannot change them. You cannot reform them. You cannot find the goodness inside them. You cannot show them the way to God. And you cannot teach them about love. All these approaches are doomed to failure, since psychopaths can never understand, nor can they care about these concepts. While they may lead you to believe that you are getting through to them, in reality, your empathy infuriates them, and far from admiring your compassion, they despise you even more. One must develop a cold exterior to them and view them from a distance. Do not pity them, feel sorry for them, or sympathize with them. Attack As a rule, the only thing that can defeat a psychopath is a bigger psychopath. However, should you feel no other recourse but to confront a psychopath, your one advantage is their fear of being exposed for what they are. They have known since childhood that they are different from most people. Their whole advantage lies in the fact that they know what they are and no one else does. Exposing a psychopath takes away his or her advantage and reveals their inner corruption for all to see. However, few people have the strength and intelligence to do this successfully. While the statistical distribution of genius and idiot psychopaths mirrors the general population, even a moronic psychopath can elude and outwit an educated accuser. Before you attempt to expose and expunge a psychopath, you must be in a position of power and you must choose the time and place. You also need to have your people briefed and ready to support you. This means creating a family and friends support group and or joining a support group. In an organizational setting, you need to have co-workers, managers, the legal department, and human resources on your side before making your move. The Chinese strategist Sun Tzu warned against attacking in an enemy who has no escape, and likewise it is best not to corner a psychopath since the fight will likely be more vicious than most people can bear. Instead, use the threat of exposure to drive the psychopath away. The thought that they could be exposed at any time is unnerving, and most psychopaths will give up the current game and go in search of more ignorant and vulnerable prey. Evade A safer and easier strategy is to evade. 
Once you have identified someone as a psychopath, you must cut him or her off and out of your life completely. In a relationship, you may need to change your locks, change your phone numbers, and block your email account, close bank accounts, get a restraining order, or move. Take self-defense and firearms training. In conclusion, the study of psychopathy is an important new tool, not only in crime prevention, but in understanding the source behind many social ills. The more informed and aware you are of this subject, the safer you and your family will be.